Welcome back to another episode of After the Buzzer. My name is Jack, and on this episode, we got a special guest joining us. John, would you like to introduce yourself? What's going on, After the Buzzer people? My name is John. I'm Ty's guest host for the week. Let's talk about sports. All right, let's get right into this. Starting with the NHL, the weekly Super 16 update. We're just going to read out the teams, give a little insider info about this week, and then that's it. All right, coming at the one spot, the Tampa Bay Lightning. They were ranked first last week as well. And in their last 10 games, they have just one regulation loss. Victor Hedman continues to be a prolific defenseman, along with Mikhail Sergachev, who's having a really good season. You know what's scary about the Lightning, Jack? What is scary? The fact that they're doing this well. And you could argue their best players on the sideline recovering from a major hip surgery. And you know what? He's just started skating this afternoon, maybe yesterday. I don't remember, but... He's back on the ice with a light skate, and he's on track to get back for the playoffs, which means an already dangerous team is getting the best, arguable best deadline addition by a mile, and they look primed to go back to back. Yes, they do. The Tampa Bay Lightning looking as dangerous as ever when the Kita Kucherov projected a comeback off of injury for the playoffs. Coming at the number two spot, we have the Vegas Golden Knights. They ranked second last week as well. They've won five of their last seven games, and in all five wins, they have scored four-plus goals. Mark Stone is having yeah. a great season with the assist marks, having 22 assists, and they're proven to be up there with the best in the West. Yeah, they're good and all, but I don't know, man. Defense is a little lackluster, in my opinion, and uh, their goal scoring is great, but you're going to hit a drought every once in a while. And with Leonard still on the shelf, I don't know if Flurry at his uh, advanced age is going to be able to carry the burden as they go for another Stanley Cup run. The Avalanche are in that division, the Blues, the wild are looking good. That's a tough West division out there. I don't know. They might not have enough in the tank. We'll have to find out, though. Flurry playing well right now. See if he can keep it up. That he is. Got to give him credit there. Number three, the Carolina Hurricanes. Jumping up two spots from last week. Currently riding a seven-game winning streak. Scoring at a high rate. And on more impressive, the defensive end of things. Give, they have not given up more than three goals in a game on this seven-game win streak. Getting it done both on the offensive side and on the defensive side of things. Carolina's one of the best teams in the league. They'll be a team to give Tampa its run for its money. If the if anyone's going to beat Tampa, it's either going to be Carolina or the New York Islanders. I don't see anybody else taking them down. But I'll tell you one thing. Carolina's defense is playing so well, they placed Jake Gardner on waivers today. Now, I don't know if they're trying to get rid of him or open up cap space for a bigger move. But the fact he can place Jake Gardner on waivers says something about how well that team's playing. Certainly does. Carolina, one of the most complete teams in all of hockey. Number four, the Toronto Maple Leafs. They've hit of a bit of a slide as of late, dropping three of their last five. But Austin Matthews still scoring at a high rate, the first player to hit 20 goals this season. I don't want to talk about Toronto, dude. The North, the Northern Division, I don't think any of those teams are as good as their record says there is. They're beating up on each other. Look at the Senators and the Flames and the Canucks. Those teams are playing absolutely atrocious. The Senators will be good in two or three years. Mark my words on that one. You can write that down if you want. But right now, they're getting bullied by the Maple Leafs and the Jets and the Oilers. But if you look at it, the games are like 6-5 to five or 7-6. to six. You're not going to be scoring at a rate like that when you play good teams in the playoffs like the Lightning or the Islanders or teams that could defend. No one defends in the Canadian division, which is why the stats look so inflated. I'm not – I'm writing off Toronto, dude. They can't win in the playoffs, and I don't think they're going to this year either. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. Maple Leafs got to show more consistency. Consistency. We'll see when the playoffs come around against the top teams in the league. Coming in number five, the New York Islanders playing absolutely fantastic right now. Hurricanes in a seven-game win, winning streak. So are the Islanders. Lighting the lamp consistently, scoring five goals in four of the seven games 
on this win streak. But on the negative side of things, Captain Anders Lee went down with an injury on Thursday night. His timetable for return still unknown, and it is believed to be a lower body injury. Yeah, man, Islanders playing great, but let's pump the brakes a little bit. They just lost their captain, their highest goal scorer. I mean, they still got Barzal in that great defensive structure, but still we know more about that injury. I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit in the Islanders because if you look at it, they've bullied the Sabres. I mean, it's the Buffalo Sabres. They can't do anything. They just lost Jack Eichel for eight weeks, arguably the rest of the season if you look at it. There's no point he should come back because the Buffalo Sabres, let's face it, they stink. Sabres are quite atrocious uh, among the bottom feeders of the league, just like the Ottawa Senators. Coming in at number six, the Florida Panthers, staying where they were last week. They're playing solid hockey still, and they're fighting with Tampa and Carolina along the top of that central. Uh, They had an impressive win on Thursday night, erasing a 4-1 to third-period deficit on the road against the Blue Jackets, coming back to win 5-4 in overtime on a Frank Vetrano goal set up by Jonathan Huberdeau. Jonathan Huberdeau is one of the best players in the league and most underrated players in the league. No one talks about him, yet if you look at the Florida Panthers' uh, franchise history, he's either top or second in the list in every statistical offensive category. One of the greatest underrated players in the league. However, with that being said, I do not think the Florida Panthers are as good as their record shows. I think they're a bit of a pretender. They'll get in the playoffs for sure, which is good to see for the Florida native fans. But they're not in the likes of the Lightning or the, or the Hurricanes. I don't think they're going far. They don't got the experience. But Quenville's got to play in a special type of way right now. I'll say that. I'm going to have to disagree with you. I think the Panthers are contenders. And uh, I'm going to have to also correct me. I think the Florida fans, what what fans? Uh, last time I checked, they don't have any people come up to their home game. So. Well, I mean, they don't usually, but I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll turn around the playoffs. Look at 2016 when they played the Islanders in the playoffs. They had, they had like half the stadium filled. That's good for Florida. That's true. That is, that is true. Coming in at number seven, the Washington Capitals. The Caps continuing to play well, winning three in a row, and Nick Backstrom is proving to be their best player. Not Alexander Ovechkin, Nicholas Backstrom. With 10 goals and 19 assists for 29 points through 26 games, Backstrom is playing on a whole nother level this season for Washington. Backstrom's always been a great player like Jonathan Huberdeau. He's very underrated, and he's always been an OV shadow like a Robin. He's been the Robin to Ovi's Batman, if you want to take that route of uh, looking at it. But he's a great player, and he's He's doing what everybody knows he can. He's scoring at a higher clip than he usually does. But Nick Backstrom is a hell of a player. And uh, if you look at the Washington Capitals, they're on a hot streak. And if Samsonov, which he looks like he's getting right after that tough battle with COVID, they're going to be a tough team. That's that's a tough team for sure. So I'll be interested to see what happens in the Mass Mutual East Division. But uh, they're hot. And, well, I don't know what's going to happen, but Tom Wilson better get his crap together because – he, they can't afford him getting suspended for another seven games because he's also one of their top players. They can't afford having him sit out. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. Tom Wilson is such a big piece that Capitals team uh, provides a lot for the success. And like you said, he's going to need to stop getting suspensions if uh, the Capitals want to make any noise come playoff time. For sure. Staying on the topic of Mass Mutual East teams, we're going to the Boston Bruins, a team that's been up there in the East for as long as I can remember. They are still very competitive, but they have cooled off significantly from their scorching hot start. Still got that top line, which is very productive. But other than that, they are looking for answers. The Bruins got to get this thing turned around if they want to stay right there with the Islanders and Caps for the lead in the East Division. I'm not worried about Boston. They're a perennial cup contender. They'll get their, they'll get they'll get it together. I mean, if you think about it, the perfection line's still clicking. Marshawn Berger on past the knock. They'll get some depth scoring once they get Andre Kasha back, and they're still missing three of their top six defensemen. So uh, once they get healthy, they'll be solid. Tuka Rass needs to come back healthy. He's out for right now for an undisclosed injury. 
no timetable because they don't really we don't really know what's going on with that. But he'll be back. Boston will be back. And you know, Bruce Cassie, good coach, he'll get him right. And uh Don Sweetie, the GM, you know, he's active come trade deadline time, which is less than a month away. So he'll be looking to add as they look to make another deep Stanley Cup playoff run. All right, good insight and good good insight there for the Bruins. Going back to your favorite division, North. Uh, the Winnipeg Jets coming in at number nine, continuing to fight with the Toronto Maple Leafs at the top spot in that North division. And this week, they, the Leafs and Jets had three games on the slate. So far, the Jets have won one and dropped one in overtime. So they're, they're playing well with the Leafs this week. Like I said earlier, when we were talking about the Maple Leafs, don't, don't fall into the trap that is the Northern division. They're just playing each other in Canada. They got nothing going on. There's no defense. Don't get me wrong. We got great players like Austin Matthews, Mark Shifley, a great players such as Morgan Riley on the back end. And uh, I just, I'm not buying into the Northern division because you're not playing anybody outside of Canada. There's no defense. All these quote unquote great goaltenders like Connor Hellebuck or Jacob Markstrom, they don't look like they know what they're doing. Granted, Markstrom was in on injured reserve. I don't want to take, I don't want to knock him because he was injured, but it seems like there's no goaltending. There's no defense. And I'm not buying into any of these Northern teams until they play a real opponent. I know one of them will, because one of them will ultimately escape and make it to the final four. Granted, I think it's going to be either Toronto or Montreal. I think everyone slept on Montreal. That's actually a good hockey team. They got arguably the best depth in the Northern division, Northern division. But like I said, I don't think the Northern division is anything special. And I think everyone else will come to realize that once the playoff time rolls around. And if I'm wrong, you throw it in my face. All right, believer of the Canadians. I am a believer of the Canadians. On a 10, the Colorado Avalanche, a team that just somehow continues to fall in these rankings week by week, despite them playing well. They've gotten points in four of their last five games, seeming to get a, a little bit of a hot streak, turning it around here as they were in a little bit of a slide. But getting back to Avalanche play is they have such a talented roster, and I think they can certainly make some noise out in the West and maybe even get to the Cup. They have to start making noise. Otherwise, you're going to start making uh, start having questions about this team. I mean, I know Kale McCarr has been banged up. Natty Max has been banged up. Pavel Francouz has been out. So, Philip Grubauer has been an absolute workhorse, but he's been playing great. But they got to do something because a team that talented with top-end talent and Natty Max, Kale McCarr, Miku Rantanen, Nazem Kadri, the list goes on. That team's got to start making noise. And unfortunately, I don't know if they get past Vegas in the West Division. And if you – and if you want to call yourself a perennial cup contender as the Colorado Avalanche fan base and team wants to, you got to come up big. I, they haven't been in the conference final in how long? Since they won the last Stanley Cup in what, 01? It's been, it's been quite a long time since the Avalanche have made a deep run in the playoffs. On to number 11, the Pittsburgh Penguins. They have jumped four spots, and they've gotten things back on track. Four-game win streak, getting solid goaltending from the Smith and Jari, and Crosby, Gensel, and... Uh, Rust continue to produce efficiently. The Penguins find a way to always scrap a good roster together and find a way to be competitive year in and year out. I'm never writing off the Penguins as long as they got Crosby mapping on that team. Sure, the goaltending isn't what it used to be when they had Flurry. Jari ain't the same, but Jari's good enough to win some games, steal some games. And uh, the one concern I have for the Pittsburgh Penguins is their defense. Crystal Tang's getting old. P.O. Joseph looks like a bright spot. John Marino's decent, but I don't know. I'm not writing off Pittsburgh and the fact that they've only played Buffalo once in New Jersey. I don't know if they've played them at all. That scares me in the mass major Eastern division. They're a team to watch out for. On to number 12, the Minnesota wild, a team that I was not very high on at the beginning of the season. I must say 
but they've had people step up and I have changed my opinion on them. I really like the wild. They are an entertaining team to watch currently riding a three game win streak with two big wins against the Vegas golden Knights. Kirill Kaprizov and Capo Kakinen are blossoming into stars. And like I said, beating Vegas has put them right there with Vegas for the lead in the West division. Entertaining. Yes. Interesting. Yes. Calder trophy winner, probably in Kirill Kaprizov. All those are interesting, entertaining, and good for the Wild because they deserve something good. But, sorry, Wild fans, about to rain on your parade. You just don't have the goaltending. You don't have the defense, and you're not going to beat Vegas, Colorado in that Western Division. I'm sorry. You're not there yet. Simple as that. Fun hockey team to watch. You're not going anywhere, though. Sorry. I don't know, though. If, Ka- if Kakanen could keep playing a net like this, I mean, he's gotten eight consecutive wins, I believe. I mean, he is just so hot right now. I mean, he's going to cool down eventually. No one can continue to play like that. But if he can continue to play even half of what he's doing right now, putting up these great numbers, I think the Wild will still be right there with the top teams. It's exciting hockey for sure. Bill Guerin's doing a hell of a job as that new GM. And Dean Everson's doing a good job as that head coach in his first full season uh, with the interim tag move. But you know what? I just don't know if they have enough top-end talent, both offensively and defensively, to really compete. Kirill Kaprizov, like I said, I think he's going to be the Calder Trophy winner. He's doing a hell of a job. Um, but defensively, it's pretty much Dumba, Brodeen, and an old man Suter who's still good. I don't want to take anything away from Ryan Suter, but he's got a lot of miles on the on the tread. And in a long, arduous playoff series, I don't know if the Wild A have enough experience and B have enough talent to beat the Avalanche or Vegas Golden Knights in that tough West Division. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. All right. On to 13, the St. Louis Blues, a team that I know, John, you are very high on. They are riding a six-game point streak with three of those games being overtime losses, games that they could have won. And they have hung right in there uh, with the Avs, Wild, Vegas. Again, dealing with injuries. Uh, Colton Preco still on the shelf. Uh, once they get him back, that'll be a significant boost to their decor. Uh, but the Blues looking real good out in that West Division. Blues are really an underrated team, in my opinion. No one talks about the Blues. And you know what? What's there to really talk about? It's not an exciting hockey team the way they play, but Craig Berube has that team playing for each other, and that's what you want for a team to make a long playoff run. Look at 2019. Did anyone think the Blues were going to win the Stanley Cup? No, but they played for each other. Craig Berube instilled a great locker room culture, and it's still going on today. When they get Jaden Schwartz back, when they get Colton Pareko back, and the team's firing on all cylinders once they get Jordan Bennington right, who just signed a six-year contract extension, which ought to boost his morale. They'll be a tough out for anybody, I guarantee. Because if you look at their top-end talent, they just got Tarasenko back. Ryan O'Reilly's a hell of a center. Jaden Schwartz is a good forward. Braden Shen's a good forward. They even got good depth in Robert Thomas, Ivan Barbashev, Oscar Sundquist. They, they're good top to bottom. They might be one of the deepest teams, if not the deepest team in the West. Yeah, David Perron, though, having quite the incredible season for the Blues. Uh, someone that no one really talks about. Perron no right one talks there. about David Perron, but this is his third stint with the team. He loves it out there, and he kills it in the Enterprise Center. He loves playing there. David Perron, hell of a player. Honestly, he could be a sneaky candidate for uh, most approved player of the year, or he might – I'm not saying he's going to win the heart, but he might get votes the way he's playing. Obviously, I think Connor McDavid's got that trophy locked up, already eclipsing 50 points, but David Perron is having a hell of a season for the Blues. We'll talk about McDavid in a little bit, but yeah, Blues, certainly a uh, team to watch out for in the Western Conference. Back to the East, the Philadelphia Flyers coming in at 14. They've hit a skid, dropping three of their last four, and Carter Hart, who is projected to be a young phenom goalie, I think he's still got a lot of immense talent, but this season is abysmal for him. Uh, He's got over 
3.5 goals against average. Uh, it's just not a stat line you want to see for him. Hart, it's got to turn it around. The Flyers need something to go their way. They have a lot of good forwards, but the goaltending has been an issue this season. Yeah. Um, Flyers are in trouble. That's all I got to say. Flyers are in trouble. Carter Hart's hitting a sophomore slump, but I'm going to be honest. Carter Hart, it's not on him. If you look at that Flyers decor, losing tough guys like Matt Niskanen due to retirement, that really hurts because they replaced a defensive defenseman who's great in his own end with Eric Gustafson. And I don't want to talk down on Eric, Gus- Eric Gustafson. He's a solid defenseman, but he's more of an offensive defenseman. He's not as good as Matt Niskanen in his own end. That's just a fact. Look at the Corsi numbers and the defensive statistics. And you know what? For a young goaltender, he needs help from his from his defense. Take a look at the Islanders, for example. It is Sorokin. He plays in front of one of the best defensive systems, and he's sliding in beautifully behind Semyon Valamov in that backup role. You need to give your young goalie help. And the Flyers are not doing that at the moment. Granted, Joel Farabee and James Van Riemsdyk are having great seasons offensively. But you know what? That old phrase reigns true. Defense wins championships, and the Flyers' defense ain't going to get him into the championship. I don't even think it gets into the playoffs in that tough mass mutual Eastern division. All right. Uh, I, I certainly agree, though. The, the loss of Matt Niskin was huge. He played with Ivan Provorov last year. You saw the impact it had in the playoffs. Made Ivan Provorov a significantly better defenseman. Not saying he's bad this year, but with Matt Niskin by his side, he was phenomenal. I saw it in the Islander Flyer series. He, he was great. On to the Oilers. Matt Niskin is a bit of a dirty player, though. Cheap shot at Brendan Gallagher. Not cool. That, that, that is true. He did make a dirty hit on him in the playoffs. On the Edmonton Oilers, though, sitting at number 15, jumping up one spot from last week. They're currently riding a four-game win streak. And uh, like, you, you, like you've been saying all episode, John, they, uh, the Oilers have been mopping up on Ottawa. They have three of their four wins coming against the Senators. Like you said, McDavid eclipsed the 50-point mark. He is f- phenomenal. He is an incredible talent. And right along with him, Leon Dreitzeidel, 44 points. Uh, I mean, that, that's, I think, my opinion, the best one-two punch in the NHL. Yeah, they're great. Leon Dreitzeidel, Connor McDavid. Can't say enough about how well those guys play together. Uh, but if you look at it, hockey teams are built by more than just two players. Don't forget about Ryan Nugent Hopkins, an impending UFA, who if he hits the free agent market come July 1, teams will be all over it for his services because he is a great and highly underrated two-centerman, second-line centerman, A. B, if you look at the Oilers, no Oscar Clefbaum is very much going to hurt them. It already has. Darnell Nurse is their top defenseman at the moment, and he's paired with who? Tyson Berry? That ain't gonna go. That ain't gonna go well overall. Look at how many goals the Oilers give up. Sure, they score a bunch. They'll win games seven to one, but then they'll have a stinker when Miko Koskinen's in net, and they'll lose games like five to one. It's so hard to read this team. Congratulations on your four-game win streak. You beat Ottawa. Come talk to me when you beat a good team. That's what I want to hear from the Northern Division. All right, yeah, Mike Smith has been playing quite well in net, though, for the Oilers this season. Got to give Mike Smith his props. I got to give Mike Smith credit. I've always been a Mike Smith guy, even back to his days in Arizona. Excuse me, back then when it was Phoenix. Shows how old I am. But I've always been a Mike Smith guy. I- I'm happy to see that even in his advanced age, he's still playing at a high rate. Yeah, uh, the Oilers going to need to be nice to see him score a goalie goal again. That was electric when he did that for Arizona. It was, it was. And he's got the talent to do. He's done it multiple times. Smith, uh, very underrated goalie. He's playing very well. On our final team to round out the Super 16, we got the Chicago Blackhawks. Hawks have hit a skid in recent in the recent stretch, going 2-2-1 two, two, and one in their last five. And talk about Patrick Kane a lot on this podcast, but how can't you? Patrick Kane, one of the, still one of the most premier players in the NHL at 32 years of age. Uh, he hit the 40-point mark. 
and he's just so electric to watch. Oh, for sure. Patrick Kane, the things that he can do, the way he stick handles, it is, it is some sort of a magic that what he does on the ice. And you know what I got to say about the Blackhawks? If they can continue to get strong goaltending from Kevin Lankinen and they sneak into the playoffs in that central division, there's a chance they get Jonathan Taze back. I don't know about the status of Kirby Doc because I know he had an off-season surgery after getting hurt in the World Juniors. I don't know how long his recovery is, but they should get Jonathan Taze back from what I was reading. And if they do that, they are going to be a tough out because they are a team that is mixed with veterans and young presence like Dominic Kubalik, Adam Boquist, and a couple other guys. They can make noise in the playoffs. Just look at what they did in the bubble. They ousted 08, a Northern Division team, the Edmonton Oilers, who were a five and Blackhawks were a 12. That's why I have no faith in the Northern Division because teams that play in America, nothing against the Canadian teams. We love having them in the league, but they don't win. It's just a fact. They haven't won in a while. They're not going to win this year. Don't put any faith in the Northern Division. But back to the Blackhawks. They get in the playoffs. If they get tased back, which it looks like they might be able to, they could make noise. All right. Very high on the Blackhawks. I'm I'm still skeptical about them. I like their young core. I really do. I do like Kevin Lankinen, but I just don't know in that tough central division if they have enough enough talent to go up with teams like the Lightning and the Hurricanes and make noise. Just not sure about they it. They might not beat them. But they're, you're going to know that you play the Chicago Blackhawks by the time that series is over because it'll go six, seven games, whoever they play, and you're going to know that you had, that you had to earn it. You had, if you're going to win, you got to work for it. And that's what the, those teams are going to have to do when they play the Blackhawks because they're gritty and they got skill and they could score with anybody. All right. That's, that's going to do it for our NHL segment. We're going to move on to some tidbits of news coming out of the MLB. And we're going to start it off with talking about Jackie Bradley Jr. signing a two-year, $24 million contract with the Milwaukee Brewers, making their projected outfield a strong one of Christian Yelich, Lorenzo Cain, and Jackie Bradley Jr., the new addition. Uh, this makes the Brewers' defense in the outfield a lot stronger as well and makes their whole team more well-rounded and, I think, in my opinion, closes the gap with St. Louis, not eclipsing St. Louis, but I think it puts them right there with the Cardinals in contending for that NL Central title. NL Central is going to be weird this year. I don't know who to who to, who to pick as my Central Division winner. I guess I got to lean with the Cardinals with that acquisition of Nolan Arenado with Goldschmidt on one side and Arenado on the other with the young playing short. It's a crazy infield. I, I'm going to have to lean with them. But the Brewers got JBJ on a steal of a contract. And I don't know. The Brewers just – the Brew crew always just seems to hang around. I mean, they might be able to sneak in in the playoffs as a wild card or something, but – JBJ is a good player, and he improves their defense immensely. I'll be interested to see how their defensive run save statistics improve this year with the addition of JBJ. I think it most certainly will improve. Uh, getting a gold glove candidate and Jackie Bradley Jr. out there in the outfield will certainly improve uh, your defensive statistics. All right, MLB announcing the inaugural in the inaugural, excuse me, Lou Gehrig Day set for June second. Uh, this will raise funds for, of course, ALS disease. Um, a great job by the MLB here. Uh, something that should have been implemented a long time ago, I think. And uh, it's just a good thing for the for the world. ALS is a disease that is just has not been able to uh, be put under control. I think it's a good thing. Ray, raise funds for it. Yeah, better late than never. Famous phrase, and it kind of be more applied than it is now. ALS is a horrible disease. Hundreds of thousands of people get impacted by this disease. 
it's just glad to see that we're finally taking action with one of our greatest baseball players of all time getting impacted by this disease and ultimately losing his life due to it. I'm glad to see the MLB is finally taking action and trying to raise funds so other people don't have to face that harsh reality. Exactly. All right. On to some, uh, a little, a little couple big home runs being hit. Shohei Otani hit a 468 foot home run uh, the other day. And Gary Sanchez hit one over the batter's eye. Uh, balls flying. Sluggers are hitting well. You know, it's baseball time when you're seeing these moonshot home runs being hit. All right, you're doing everybody a disservice if you're not gonna if you're gonna use the word moonshot and not talk about that bomb that Jan Carlos Stanton hit to left field against the Pittsburgh Pirates a couple nights ago. That ball was crushed. That ball was you know hit a about, long right? mile. Yes, that ball was hit a long mile. Uh, I believe out of the I park. I don't even think that thing's landed yet. That's how far that was hit. Yeah, over the left field stands. I think that thing left the ballpark. That was an absolute bomb. Uh, just seeing the sluggers hit these balls far and. We're going to talk about some young prospects. And right now, Wander Franco hitting some home runs. Jared Kelnick hit a long opposite field shot. Bobby yeah, Witt Jr. Bobby Witt Jr. hit a 484-foot home run to left center field the other day. And then Hunter Green, a pitching prospect for the Reds, he threw three pitches over 100 miles an hour in the same at-bat, including one for 103. He is an electric arm a flamethrower and someone the Reds organization is very excited about. Flamethrowers are cool and all, but guys will be able to adjust the fast, the fast pitching. Look at Aronis Chapman. He came in as an absolute flamethrower. It took people a little bit to adjust to him, but you eventually get used to that. He needs to, it's great that he could throw that fast and not trying to under undermine his ability to throw 103 mile an hour fastball. That's absurd, but he needs to develop some uh, secondary junk to coordinate with that so that he can go from 103 at the chest at the letters to a nice 83 mile an hour curveball that drops into the dirt. Cause that 20 mile an hour difference and changing the eye level, that'll be what screws up the hitters. And if we're going to talk about it, you brought up a very sore spot in Jared Kelnick. That one still works me because we traded Jared Kelnick and Justin Dunn for Robinson Cano, who wait, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, but it's suspended again for PED usage and Edwin Diaz, who, as Mets fans love to call him, it's Ed Luz Diaz because he always blows saves. So d- please don't rub in the wound of Jared Kelnick because that one still hurts. Yeah, as a Mets fan as well, that one hurts. Um, but I think Diaz is going to have a good season this year. Turn it around. Uh, we're going to go into uh, some new uh, some spring training acquisitions for new teams. We're talking about Jock Peterson with the Chicago Cubs. He has hit five home runs to this point in spring training, tied with Joey Gallo for the lead among all active players. Jock Peterson seemingly loving the move to Chicago as he is raking so far in spring training. Jock Peterson has deserved to be a full-time starter in the outfield for a couple of years now. I'm glad he finally moved on from LA because he's too good of a player to be a platoon player, which he seemed to be developing into in LA between Cody Bellinger, Mookie Bats, a couple other guys rotating in the outfield. Kika Hernandez, I know, played a couple of games in the outfield. They just had too many guys out there. Jock deserves to be playing every day, and he certainly will with Albert Almora Jr. moving on from Chicago. He could slide in perfectly in either the center field spot or even the right field spot out there, and he, he should have fun. Because if you hit those balls up in that Chicago air, who knows what's going to happen. I think I think Peterson is slotted to go out in left field uh, where he played. Uh, I mean, he can play any of the outfield spots, but I think he's projected to be the starting left fielder for the Cubs uh, with Ian Happ projected to be slotted in center. Ian right. Happ's a good center fielder, but I thought Jock would play right because I think he has a strong arm. But yeah, I I'm mean, not the manager, so. 
Cubs will figure that out. David Ross, the manager there, will get it figured out for opening day. Uh, we're going to talk about some Mets players and Pete Alonso having a strong spring training start so far, showing much better plate discipline. And I believe the 2019 form is coming back around here in spring training so far as Alonso has recorded a 13-12 OPS. That's right. He is over a thousand OPS. That is incredible. Uh, looking real good so far to start the spring. Yeah, for sure. You, as a Mets fan, you got to love hearing that because if you can get the polar bear going early, that's an automatic run support because one swing of the bat, that thing could go 450 feet in the blink of an eye. Exactly. No doubt about that. Alonzo's got some elite power skills at the plate. And talking about another Met, one of the newest Mets, Francisco Lindor, fitting in well with the team, uh, uh, embracing the whole New York culture with wearing welcome to Queens batting gloves, the coming to America Mets jacket. And his teammates love him, getting high praise as a great guy on and off the field as a leader. Uh, coming here and being an immediate leader, a team, uh, something that this team really needs. And I think Lindor is going to be a big impact for the Mets. Oh, it's hard not to think Francisco Lindor, Mr. Smile is not going to be a big impact. I mean, in my opinion, he's the best shortstop in baseball. Like, you go out and acquire that guy for for any team, your, your, your chances of winning go up exponentially. But for the Mets, who looked like they needed that star player to be the face of the franchise, Francisco Lindor is a great candidate for that. No doubt about that. Lindor uh, can be the face of pretty much any franchise in the MLB. Nick Markakis has decided to call it a career after 15 strong years tallying over 2,300 hits. Markakis uh, spending most of his career with the Orioles and then spent the couple years in the back half with the Braves. He has decided to call it quits on a good MLB career. Good for him. Hope he enjoys his retirement. Yeah, happy retirement there, Nick. He had a great career. 2,300 hits is nothing to uh, nothing to be uh, feeling bad about by any means. I mean, it's 2,300 more hits than I have in the MLB, so uh, take that with a grain of salt. But, I mean, overall, really good outfielder. Um, and like you said, happy retirement. On to some pitching news. Unfortunately for the Astros, the injuries continue to pile up in the starting rotation. Forrest Whitley, uh, a prized prospect for a long time now, uh, is, has to get Tommy John surgery, the 23-year-old. Uh, was supposed to slot in at the five spot in their starting rotation this year. And like I said, with Tommy John, that's not going to happen. And now he's on the shelf till next season. Hope he recovers fully because he's got some elite stuff and he can become a, a top end starter in this league. I think. Yeah. Well, you know what they say, right? A minor setback for a major comeback. That's what Forrest Whitley's planning for. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean with Framber Valdez also going on the shelf with that broken, uh, with the broken figure that he gets surgery on. And Justin Verlander not being able to pitch this season due to coming off Tommy John. The Astros rotation facing some serious injuries early on. And uh, I just hope they can get everything figured out, making that Jake Odorizzi signing that much more huge for them. Well, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, the Astros were taking a step back anyway. They lost George Springer. Justin Verlander was already out. They just lost two more starters in spring training. I mean, I don't know where they think they're going. Sure, they got Bregman still. They got Altuve still. Correa's. And uh, he just signed an uh, arbitration deal to uh, stay in town. But I mean, I'm, I, then I don't view the Astros as a AL uh, World Series contender anymore. I just don't. They do have some talent in that lineup, but yeah, I think they are going to take a bit of a step back with all the injuries and in starting rotation. That does not help them at all. Don't sleep and, on the Blue Jays, folks. Don't sleep on them. Yeah, Blue Jays in the AL East. Uh, 
made some big acquisitions. But our final little tidbit of MLB news, we're talking about some minor league rule changes, including larger bases, an automated, an automated balls and strike system, limiting the shift, fully having to step off the rubber to attempt to pick off, and only two pickoff attempts per plate appearance. Now with these rule changes, they're not going to be implemented in every level. For example, the automated balls and strike system will only be implemented in the lowest level, low A ball. Uh, the larger bases are going to be implemented in AAA. Uh, and that can, that's going to help stealing bases, I think. Um, for limiting the shift, double A is where they'll be mostly implemented. And then the pickoff stuff will be back in low A ball as well. So MLB, the MLB making some experimental rule changes in the minors. If they work out, might, might see them in the MLB in, in the years to come. We'll see how they go. MLB always seems to be changing its rules, experimenting with the minors. Baseball's been around for over 125 years. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I don't want no robo-lumps. The fact that there's human error in baseball, that's just how it is. It's been this way for so long. Just deal with it. Adapt. You got to adapt. The one thing I do like, though, is if these bigger bases work out, I'm a fan of it because I used to love as a kid seeing guys go 30-30, 30 home runs, 30 stolen bases. I liked when guys would bunt and play small ball. We don't see that anymore. Now it's either home run or strikeout. And you know what? It's kind of annoying to watch. I'm not a big fan of it, A. And B, one more thing about these experimental rule changes with eliminating the shift. you got a problem with the shift, become a better hitter. You, if you can only pull the ball, you deserve to get out. That's, that's on you. Adapt. Adapt and get better. Go to the opposite field. It's not that hard of a thing to do. You can see these guys all the time. Jack McNeil has no problem doing it. He, sl- he intentionally tries to slap it down the left field line, which is why he's shift-proof. More of these guys need to do that, and the shift won't be an impact anyway. They won't shift if you go opposite field. I'm going to have to disagree with you on the shift part. I think it's just not as enjoyable to see. I mean, just seeing four infielders on the left side or left or right side of the infield, depending on what it does, and it's just not as entertaining. And it makes the game take longer with all these shift changes. I mean, look, you do have to be able to pull it to the opposite field. I will give you that. I mean, hitters should have that ability. But, I mean, when, when is it going to become the point where baseball is no longer baseball with these shift changes? I mean, I like the idea of limiting it, maybe not fully eliminating it, but limiting it apart, I think is a good idea. And I would well, have to I mean, agree I, with you on the larger bases. Uh, base stealing is a very fun part of the game to watch. I guess we'll just have to wait and see how this experiment works out. But for me, shift, shift's part of baseball. You know what? People might like it. People might not. But these guys are professional baseball players. You got to use all fields. That's how – look at all the top stars in the league. Ronald Cooney has no problem going all directions. He's one of the best, brightest hitters of the game. Same thing with Juan Soto. The top hitters have no problem using all fields, which is why they have the highest averages in the league, and it's why they're the most successful players in the league. If you only hit the one side of the field, there's reasons why these guys bat 240. It's easy to figure out. All right. Well, that's going to do it for our MLB section. We're just going to go on to some NFL news, contract stuff, people moving teams potentially, and we're just going to not waste any time and get right into it. Talking about Ben Roethlisberger restructuring his deal to stay with the Steelers for a minimum one more year, taking a $5 million pay cut, going from $19 million to $14 million. And that, that should help the Steelers with some of their salary cap issues. Not, not significantly, but will a little bit. Yeah, you're going to see Ben sticking with the Steelers. He's, he's a lifetime Steeler. He, he knows that that's where he belongs. The Steelers know that's where he belongs. And they know that Ben's the only option they really have at the moment to try to win. Just Mason Rudolph ain't the answer. I don't know what Dwayne Train Haskins has got going on for himself. Maybe he'll fix his attitude. Maybe he won't, but he's also not the answer quarterback. Just look what he was doing for the football team. Uh, not it. Didn't even seem like he cared. 
And uh, yeah, getting Ben back's big. But I mean, if you look around the league, all these guys are restructuring contracts because they all want to win. And you know what? Good on the players because you, you you like to see when players care about winning more so than the dollar signs. Exactly. Just look at Tom Brady. Tom Brady, not the most likable guy, but he does take pay cuts to allow his team to be good and win. Why he's so many Super Bowls. Sure. All right. Kyle Rudolph being released by the Vikings. Uh, rumored to have interest with New England. Uh, I think that would be a good fit for him if he went up uh, to Foxborough to play in Belichick's system there. Rudolph is a very talented tight end. Oh, for sure. No one gets their hands on Kyle Rudolph, former Notre Dame fighting Irish player. Loved watching him back then. Uh, but anyways, he's had a good career. And you know what? I think he's still got a little left in the tank. So, uh, yeah, if he goes up to New England, if you look at that system, look how, look when New England was its brightest, when they had a solid tight end game. Rob Gronkowski, and for the few years they had Aaron Hernandez, uh, they were dominant. So they love their tight ends, but they haven't really had one since Gronk left. So uh, be good to see how uh, effective uh, Kyle Rudolph will be in the system. Yeah, for sure. Um, talking more news, Alex Smith released by the Washington football team. He was the comeback player of the year, not understanding – this move, uh, he led them to the playoffs. Unfortunately, was hurt for that game. Taylor Heineke started, and I guess they are believing in Taylor Heineke as the future starting quarterback of the Washington football team, or maybe they'll draft one. I don't know what their plan is, but right now, it's Taylor Heineke, the guy in Washington. Does anyone know what the football team's plan is? I mean, come on. They don't even have a team name. Dan Schneider doesn't know what he's doing as the owner. And I mean, sure, they have an elite defense with Chase Young, Camden Curl on the back end. They got an elite defense, but I like Taylor Heineke. I think I think he played very, very well for how long his absence was from playing in the NFL. Don't get me wrong, but do you really think you're going to go back to the playoffs with Taylor Heineke? I don't think so. Granted, Alex Smith, he did his job. He won comeback player of the year. I don't know if you're winning with him either, but interesting move to say the least. I couldn't agree more. Very interesting. Juju. Juju Smith-Schuster uh, voted on an Instagram poll that on whether he's returning to the Steelers. He did vote no. It's not likely he will return. Um, I, I, I found this very interesting uh, as his teammate, Chase, Clay, uh, Chase Claypool, very adamant about getting him back in Pittsburgh. Juju apparently not feeling the same way. So uh, we'll, we'll have to see how that turns out. Would be a big loss for the Steelers as he was their top receiver this past season. Yeah, well... In my opinion, don't get me wrong, I like Juju Smith-Schuster, good player and all. But if you, look at, if you look at the NFL as a whole, you don't win with star wide receivers. You win with offensive linemen, defensive linemen, a strong running game. You don't win with star wide receivers. Does Odell Beckham win? No. Is he an elite talent? Yes. Does Julio Jones win? No. Is he an elite talent? Yes. You can win without a star wide receiver in the NFL. New England's done it for years. Granted, I love Julian Edelman. I think he's highly underrated. Second best postseason receiver of all time. He's not. He's not an elite talent. Let's be honest. You can win without star wide receivers. Granted, the Bucks did it this year with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, but I think that was more so because of Tom Brady and uh, how well that defense played against Patrick Mahomes. But you can win without star wide receivers. So if Juju leaves, it's money that you can spend elsewhere to improve the defense, improve the offensive line, improve the running game, which the Steelers desperately need to do. So we'll see what happens. Exactly. Steelers gonna have a very interesting offseason. How they'll spend their budget. Uh, not, not a large budget either, but they do have holes to fill and moves to make. We'll see what they do. Going on to the Seahawks, Russell Wilson uh, has been on and off talked about in trade talks. The Chicago Bears are a team to talk about there. They have been rumored to have a strong package prepared for the Seahawks, uh, but the Seahawks 
said they're not they're not shopping him. Will only take a uh, trade him if they get an overwhelmingly good offer. Well, I think he's getting traded. I'm going to say it. I think he's shopped. I think they're shopping him. They just don't want to say they're shopping him. And you know what? I'm saying it right now. If the Chicago Bears land Russell Wilson on their fa- on their football team, they will not only win the NFC North, they will represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. That defense is too good, and if they get an elite quarterback to throw the ball to Allen Robinson with the development of David Montgomery as their running back, that team will be dangerous. All right, bold take. If if the Bears get Wilson, John believes they will go to the Super Bowl in coming years, if not this year. Interesting. On to Dallas, talking about more quarterback news. Dak Prescott lands a mega extension with the Cowboys, signing a four-year, $160 million deal. And uh, good job, Dallas. Good job for, for getting Prescott back. And, uh, you know, he was good for them. But uh, what what about the defense? Where, where are you spending money on the defense now that you've paid Dak? You paid Amari Cooper. There's a lot of money going into the offense. They got to find a way to get some into the defense because their defense was atrocious last season. Don't get me wrong. Dak's a good quarterback, but that, that is a lot of money going to the offense. I'm a Dak supporter. Jack, you know that. He ain't worth $40 million a season. Come on. He's just not. Oh, he's not. I'm saying good job in a sarcastic way. Sarcastically, good job, Dallas, for overpaying your quarterback. I mean, what are you and, doing? And the worst part is, you weren't you weren't willing to pay him when he's healthy. He's coming off of a major ankle injury. You don't know if he can run the same. You don't know if he can plant the same to throw a ball downfield. And look how much money they got tied up in Amari Cooper, Dak Prescott, and Ezekiel Elliott. That's going to be close to half your cap space. And like you said about the defense, sure you got the Marcus Lawrence. Sure you got Lane Van Der Esch. The six games he's healthy a season. I don't think Dallas is going to go anywhere. And you know what? Full prediction here, third in the NFC East next season. All right, book it for John. Cowboys, third in the NFC East. More quarterbacks. Sam Darnold. Uh, Jets will take calls if other teams are interested in their young quarterback. Uh, clearly trying to move on. Um, maybe taking Zach Wilson in the draft, depending on what they do. I don't know. Maybe trading for Deshaun Watson. The Jets, very interesting this offseason to see, offseason to see what they are going to do. Jets are a mess. It's as simple as that. They don't know what they're doing. No one knows what they're doing. They're the laughing stock of the league. You have no offensive line. Your best wide receiver is Jameson Crowder, which I don't want to cut on Jameson Crowder. He's a good player, but he shouldn't be anyone's best wide receiver. You have no defense, and you can't even get a tank right. You won two games when it didn't even matter, and you screwed yourselves out of the first pick. The Jets are a mess. Simple as that. Yeah, the Jets are a... uh... They're very poor franchise. And uh, yeah, you like you said, can't even get the tank right. I mean, you nailed it right on the head there. Going on to the other New York team, though, the New York Giants are planning on restructuring Nate Solder's contract. Uh, he did not play in the 2020 season. I believe trying to make it a more team-friendly deal after they took Andrew Thomas with the fourth overall pick in last year's draft, uh, trying to get Nate Solder back on the other side of the offensive line. I like it. I'm a fan of it. I think Nate Solder's good. I think he's going to be prepared, ready to go after sitting out last year due to the COVID-19 pandemic. But uh, it's got to be at the right number. Because remember, they signed him for $15 million AAV, a four-year, $60 million contract. He's got to restructure it so that A, they can spend money elsewhere to try and improve. But I'm glad to see they're taking an investment in protecting Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley because they need holes to run through. And Daniel Jones needs time to throw the ball because, uh, let's face it, first two years, he's kind of gotten rocked. 
which has led to a lot of turnovers, which, granted, he's got to improve on. He's got room to grow, but if he has a little more time, maybe he'll make a little better decisions. But I'm glad to see that what's-his-face, Nate Shoulders, coming back. <laughs> Hopefully, Solder could turn around because what he did with the Giants in 2019, uh, not not good. I don't know. I'm skeptical about him. Uh, so I mean, He can I, handle right tackle. He'll handle right tackle. It's not as much of a burden. I, I think he can turn it around, but I got to see it before I believe it. All right, final little tidbit NFL news here. Texans making some additions, signing Mark Ingram and Christian Kersey to one-year deals. Uh, I think the Texans, um, while they are not good, making moves to improve. I respect it. We can't talk about the Texans improving by signing Mark Ingram and Christian Kersey, can we? There's just over. There's an over. There's an overcast in the Texans in the Texans crowd. Deshaun Watson. What are you going to do? Are you going to stay? You're going to go. Like, you seem like you're sold on leaving, Deshaun. The franchise isn't willing to trade you. So are you going to make up or are you going to break up? Because the Texans, if they have them, I don't know how good they are. They won four games this year with them. And if they leave without them, you better get a haul because you already traded your third overall pick to Miami, Miami Council, which is like a huge backfire. Um, I don't know the direction of the franchise. Bill O'Brien kind of screwed them. So it'll be interesting to see how they recoup. Yeah, Bill O'Brien did leave that organization in a uh, in a big mess, but slight improvements that Mark Ingram, Christian Kirksey is what I should have said. They're not studs by any by any uh, way or form, but they are solid starters. Uh, yeah, the whole Watson situation very confusing. He says he will never suit up in the Texan uniform again. Meanwhile, the new head coach says uh, Deshaun's our quarterback. So uh, interesting to see what's going to happen here before the season starts. Well, got a while for that to happen, but. Interesting to see what's going to happen heading towards the draft. That's going to wrap up the NFL segment here, and we're going to go on to our final topic. We're talking about college hoops. We're so close to March Madness, the NCAA tournament, the big dance, so many names for it, and we're going to break down a lot of the conference tournaments going on right now. Champions, uh, matchups, injury news, we got it all for you. Let's get right right into this here, breaking down our conference tournament champions so far. Out of the American East, the Hartford Hawks, punching their ticket for the first time in program history, taking down UMass Lowell in the championship game. It was a 4v6 matchup after both of them pulled off upsets. Hartford beat number two Vermont in the semis, and UMass Lowell upset number one UMBC in the semis. Ultimately, though, Hartford punched their ticket. Good for them. This is what a march is all about. Mid-majors punching their tickets, and like Hartford, for the first time in program history. Yeah, good for Hartford. Let the kids enjoy it, relish the fact they're going to be in the big dance. But come on, we all know they'll probably be a 16 seed, maybe even in the first four playing games, and uh, they're not going anywhere. No, they're not. But Number good for one seed is going to beat them. I don't know if it'll be Gonzaga matched up against them or someone else, but they're not beating any of the top teams. But they let them celebrate. Good for them. First time franchise history that they're going to the big dance. It's a hell of an accomplishment. Good for Hartford. Yeah, was, I, I watched the end of that game. I seen the emotion out of all out of all those players was just it's just what March is all about. On to the A Sun, the Liberty Flames, the the power the powerhouse of that conference for the last couple of years. They do it again. They make it out of the A Sun. Uh, the Flames, an excellent three point shooting team, probably around that 12-13 seed line. Uh, when when the picks come out tomorrow, they definitely have what it takes to pull off an upset again. Three-point shooting is such a big thing now, and they shoot it at a high clip. If they get hot, watch out for them to pull off an upset. 
you know, I love those 12, 13 teams upset in the fours and fives, but it's tough to call upsets before I know the brackets. So I'm just going to stand pat for now, but they could definitely be a team to upset a four or five. I could see it. Oh, well, yeah, for sure. I mean, you got to see who they match up against. I mean, if they don't match up well, I mean, obviously not going to pick them, but they do have the capabilities to pull off an upset in the right scenario. They're going to have team upset a four or five. I agree. But like I said, got to see the bracket first before I make my final call. All right, out of the Ohio Valley, Moorhead State. Uh, they stunned Belmont in, in the championship game. Everyone was expecting Belmont to cruise out of the OVC and punch their ticket, get back, maybe make some noise. That is not the case. Moorhead State. I thought they'd be making noise. I, I did too. I did too. Excuse me. I like Belmont. Uh, the, the build of that team was very good. But Moorhead State said, not so fast. And they snatched the OVC bid. And maybe they can be the ones that make some noise, turn some heads. You never know. No, I don't see it. The two teams that are always there out of the OVC is Belmont. And I believe Murray State is also in the OVC. And uh, neither of them are in it. So I'm calling first on exit for the OVC. All right. Not high on Moorhead State. We're going to a team nope. that I know you like, John, though. Iona. Out of the Metro oh, yeah. Atlantic Athletic Conference, the Iona Gales, coached by Rick Patino have punched their ticket into the NCAA tournament once again. They have dominated that conference, making it the championship game in nine consecutive years, I believe. The Gales always find always seem to find their way into the into the NCAA tournament. I'm happy for Rick Patino. Welcome back. I know it's been a couple of years for him personally, I believe, since he's been in the tournament. But I could be wrong. I might be thinking of his son. Um, but anyways, Iona, always in the tournament, seems like. Go Iona. Go Gales. Big Gale supporter there is John. We're going to the Big South, though. Winthrop. They punched their ticket last year. They were they won the Big South also, but as we all know, March Madness did not happen last year due to the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, but Winthrop going there this year. Me. Uh, yeah, COVID, rough time for everybody. Um, but Winthrop, they're going to the big dance this year. Uh, probably around like what Liberty was, 13 seed line, 13, 14. We'll figure it out. They're probably right. They'll play a tough three seed. Could be Florida State, actually. Maybe. I don't know. No, hopefully my Knowles uh, get a three, but I'm expecting a four for them. Um, was, was, there was something I was going to say about last year's March Madness. Yeah, you hate to see that uh, last year's was canceled, but you're, good, you're happy to see teams like Winthrop get another chance to go to the big dance. Still sour about last year, though, because my team, the Nittany Lions, were primed to make a run in the, in the, uh, the big dance, and you know what? We got it squashed by the pandemic, and uh, we went back to our normal form this year, so I'm still a little sour about it. But I'm happy to see these mid-majors find their way back. Yeah you, could, yeah, you could say the same for Florida State about last year's tournament. They were projected to be a two-seed, and experts were saying they could make the Final Four last year. Uh, I'm not sure about them this year, but we're not talking about Florida State. We were talking about Winthrop. Good for them to see them back in the tournament. Going to the Missouri Valley Conference, a Cinderella story from a couple years ago that everyone got on board with. The Loyola Chicago Ramblers are back in the NCAA tournament, winning the Missouri Valley Conference, taking down the Drake Bulldogs. Uh, the identity for the Ramblers is defense, ranking tops in the nation in defensive efficiency. They lock you down. They force you to play out of your comfort zone, and they could make some noise yet again with how well they lock teams down. Unfortunately for them, I think they're going to mean eight or nine, and they're going to run into a one seed if they get to the round of 32. That will be a tough test for them. No, no, no. Come on, Jack. We all know their true identity. Sure, they're a great defensive team. Look at the metrics. That's that's the given. 
We know the true identity of the Loyola Chicago Ramblers. And you know who it is? Come on. It's Sister Jean. Sister Jean's still kicking, 101-year-old nun. She brought the fire back in 2018 when they made it. And she's going to do it again, bringing the Ramblers back to at least the Sweet 16. All right. I believe her of the Ramblers. So am I. Believe her, Sister Jean and the Ramblers. Here we go. All right. Going on to another uh, shocking story. Well, Loyola wasn't shocking this year, but 2018 they were. This year, a shocking story. Appalachian State out of the Sun Belt. They were the four seed going into their conference tournament. They upset the one Georgia State in the championship game. The Mountaineers going dancing for the first time since 2000. Hey, good for the Appalachian State. Hey, first time in 21 years there in the tourney. Usually a football powerhouse down there in the Fun Belt, but Glad to see they got their basketball going. Best luck to them in the tournament. Yeah, Appalachian State. Maybe looking to pull off a shocker. Doubt it, but you never know. Speaking of the shockers, what did you think of Wichita State going down in the American? That was that was incredible. Cincinnati pulled off a gigantic upset, and we will be talking about Wichita State more later. Uh, a lot, actually, when it comes to that actual game and the bubble talk. On to the SoCon. UNC Greensboro, the Spartans, make it out of the Southern Conference. Uh, the Southern Conference has had some teams make some some controversy in the tournament in 2019. Wofford, who was an electric three-point shooting team, uh, got to the round of 32 and gave Kentucky everything they had. Uh, UNC Greensboro could make some noise. They got some good guards down there. Maybe they could pull I, off an upset. I feel like every team that comes out of the SoCon to represent that conference always does something in the big dance. Like you mentioned, the Wofford Terriers, they had a good tournament back in 2019. UNC Greensboro has been there a couple of times. I believe UNC uh, Wilmington has also been out of that conference a couple of times. It's a 13 seed. They've, they've caused a little havoc for the four seeds in a couple of years past. So it'll be interesting to see what UNC Greensboro's got on tap for us come next weekend. Same with East Tennessee State. The Buccaneers out of the SoCon have also made some noise a couple of years. So the SoCon always ETSU, finds a way. ETSU, baby. ETSU. Always finds they a way always to have seem a team. to make the dance every few years. And you know what? They always seem to do something. Exactly. SoCon always finds a way to have a team that makes noise in the tournament with an upset. On to the Horizon League. We got the Cleveland State Vikings. They were the one seed in the regular season, and they got it done, getting back to the tournament. Uh, I, I watched them during that tournament. I like the identity of the team. I don't think they're going to pull off an upset, projected 15 around, but they do are scrappy. They work hard, and they got out of the Horizon. Scrappy is the motto for these mid-major teams, they all got to be scrappy if they want to take down the big dogs because they're all lower seeds. You know, you're going to be facing, if you're going to be a 15, you're going to be facing one of the powerhouses college basketball. So it's good to be scrappy. We'll see what happens. I'm a little upset though, that a uh, green Bay or Wright state didn't make it out of the horizon. It's always fun to see those guys play. Ah, uh, Wright state man. Had that choke job and a half blowing a 24 point lead with six minutes left in the, in the quarterfinals to Milwaukee. That one hurts for Wright state. On to the sure. NEC, Mount St. Mary's out of the Northeast Conference, punching their ticket. They took down Bryant in their championship game. Uh, the Mount St. Mary's Mountaineers punched their ticket, probably 16 seed. Yeah, I agree, probably 16 seed. I mean, good for them, good for the program. Gets some, notor again, some uh, notoriety for the uh, for the program, but 16 seeds. UMBC, Cinderella story. Don't see any of the number ones losing this year. No, I do not. We're going down to the Colonial, the Drexel Dragons. Punched their ticket for the first time in over 25 years, I believe. The Dragons played the eight-seed Elon in the final, and Drexel was a six-seed, so it was such an odd year in the Colonial Tournament. 
It just seemed upset after upset happened, but the Dragons irked it out. They squeaked out a win, and they got into the big dance. Good for them. That's what March is all about right there. Teams coming from nowhere, upsetting the top dogs and making noise. And that's what Drexel did in their championship tourney of their conference. Will they make any in the big dance? Remains to be seen, but good for them to make in the tourney for the first time in over two decades. On to the Summit League. We got Oral Roberts. They pulled off a couple upsets as well. They took down number one, South Dakota State in the Summit, and then they beat South Dakota State. uh, No, North Dakota State, excuse me, in the championship game where they almost blew a 20-point halftime lead, just hung on to win by one. But Oral Roberts going dancing for the first time since 2008, I believe. It's been a long time since they've found their way to the tournament. They're going back this year. Go ahead, Mr. Roberts, taking down the Dakotas, making your way to the big dance. Congrats, big fella. Let's see if you do anything come bracketology time. We're going to the WCC now with Gonzaga. We really need to talk about the WCC. It's Gonzaga every year. They're a perennial powerhouse. But I'm always cautious on taking Gonzaga anywhere. Because if you look at their competition of play, they got St. Mary's, Gonzaga, and BYU was decent this year. But it's not a strong conference. And you know what? Gonzaga should look to improve in terms of conference. Maybe with the Pac-12, because I know they're out West. But WCC, they got to be playing better opponents. And I don't know how much out-of-conference games they played this year, if any. So it would be interesting to see how how strong of a team Gonzaga really is. Gonzaga did play an out-of-conference schedule, and they took down some top competition like Iowa, Virginia. Um, they they proved their tough wins. I'm a believer in Gonzaga. Uh, I think they're going to go very far in this year's tournament, maybe win the whole thing. All right, on, on to our final. Oh, okay, he is a non-Gonzaga believer. Not shocked that it's been a theme of the past for John. On to our final uh, AQ bid automatic qualifier. Out of the MEAC, we got the Norfolk State Spartans going back for the first time since 2011-2012, where as a 15-seed, Norfolk State stunned the world and beat the two-seed Missouri. Not saying they're doing it again, but in their only ever tournament appearance, they pulled off a shocker. So... Maybe look out for Norfolk State this year. Good for Norfolk State. Don't know much about them. Don't really watch much of the uh, that mid-major. It's not one of my particular favorites, but uh, good for them to make in the tournament. And speaking of mid-majors, did you see that NCA&T, the top seed in their conference, is out due to COVID because a staff member tested positive. They got sent home, and then he tested negative three times since being home. What a travesty for that, with that, for that club. And speaking of NCAT, it's actually perfect timing. They are in the MEAC, actually, I believe. So that that allowed the two seed Norfolk State to uh, open the door for them to win it. So unfortunate for NCAT, a rough way to end their season. You hate to see how COVID's impacting these kids' lives still a year into our two week flattening the curve process. But um, missed opportunity for uh, NCAT, seized opportunity for Norfolk State. Let's see if they could seize their opportunity. Come next weekend in the big dance. All right. That finishes the conference tournament champions up to this point. Now we're just going to go go through some key matchups in conference tournament championships that have left that have yet to be played. And some injury news starting off with the injury for Villanova senior guard, Colin Gillespie tours MCL, and he will miss the remainder of the season along with guard, Justin Moore, who's out, who was out for the entire Big East tournament as Nova lost to Georgetown. We'll talk about in a little bit, but more status still to TBD, for the NCAA tournament, Nova's going to need him back if they want to win a couple games uh, 
injuries killing them late in the season. Yeah, as of right now, I think their starting guard is uh, Archie Diacono's younger brother, who hasn't played much, if at all, this season, because I believe he's a true freshman. So it'll be interesting if more can come back, because uh, Nova's a good team, but if they don't have – they already don't have Gillespie. If they don't have more, I don't know how long they last. But I'm glad you brought up Georgetown. Patrick Ewing back in his old building, bringing the Hoyas to the Big East final. And you know what? I'd love to see him win it, have Georgetown back in the tournament, because they used to be a perennial powerhouse back in the early 2010s. Then they fell off a little bit. I'm hoping Patrick Ewing brings them back. I think they can. I mean, you see it this year. They make the Big East final, stunning Villanova, who was hurt by, who was, uh, like we talked about, injury ridden. But they went and beat Seton Hall, who's a good team. Sandra Mamu Kelishvili on Seton Hall is a good big man. And he is. He averages close to 18 points a night. Yeah, Georgetown battled to the end. They survived. They got out of there. They are now on a Creighton. If they beat Creighton, Georgetown's in the tournament after having an average year. They are 12 and 12 going into their conference championship game in the Big East. If they win tonight, punch their ticket. Would be a great story. Sure would. Love to see the Hoyas back in the tourney. And you brought up Wichita State earlier. We're now going to get to talk about them fully. Upset by Cincinnati in the semis in the AAC. And Wichita State's going to have to... uh, Going to have to sit tight, buckle up, and get ready for Selection Sunday to see what their fate will be. I think they could still make it. Uh, Wichita State has a 2-3 and three record against quad one teams compared uh, to Syracuse as a 1-6 and six quad one record. We'll talk about bubble teams a little bit, but that's just for comparative perspective right now. Cincinnati, I think Wichita though, State deserves a chance to play in March Madness. They were, I believe, the number one seed in the American tourney. Sure, they got upset by Cincinnati, but that's part of March. I mean, you can't take that one loss and just immediately scratch them off the list because they got some good players who Daisy's good, that big man, number 24. They got a shifty point guard. I forget his name. I apologize for that, but they got some talent, the Shockers do. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if they could sneak in come Sunday. Yeah, Shockers do have a very talented team. They were the top in the American uh, in the regular season, outlasting Houston, who is projected number two or three seed right now, which is incredible to think about that Wichita State outlasted them. One of their quad one wins is against the Cougars. All right, going on, going on the Big 12 championship. That's currently going on right now. Oklahoma State and Texas. Oklahoma State, the Cowboys have seen their seed line continually skyrocket up. Uh, Some bracketologists even have them as high as a two seed right now. So if they can win the Big 12 championship over the Longhorns of Texas, oh boy, look out for Oklahoma State come the bracket or come the NCAA tournament. That's a team that can make noise with Big 12 player of the year, Kate Cunningham, which brought some controversy if you look at it because Butler from Baylor had almost as good a resume. People think he should have won that, but Kate Cunningham took it from Oklahoma State. They got Likely as well, who's also a solid depth player. They have a, a solid freshman. Jack believes he's the freshman of the year in the Big 12. I don't know if that's the case. I mean, he's had a strong resume, but they're a good team. And uh, I think they'll win the Big 12 championship against an inferior Texas squad. And uh, be interesting to see what they do in the big dance, for sure. Yeah. Maybe they'll get your team to lift Oak State. Maybe. Uh, I do like Texas, though. They, they score a high clip. The only problem for the Longhorns is their defense is a bit of question, I think. But with Cade Cunningham, going back to him, he has the ability to just absolutely take over a game. And that's something you need come March. I do like the Cowboys. Sure. He dropped 40, I think, last week in a game. He did. He dropped 40 against the Sooners on the road in uh, Norman to take him down. That was critical for the Cowboys. Sure. Going on to the Pac-12, and this is a shocker. Number five, the Beavers of Oregon State 
pulled off back-to-back upsets in the corner finals. They took down UCLA and in the semis, they took down Oregon, the top seed in the PAC 12, the Beavers. If they can pull out a win tonight against the Buffaloes of Colorado, the Beavers are going dancing, clinching the automatic bid in the PAC 12. Like I said earlier, it's the greatest thing about March. You just never know. You never know. Oregon State Beavers, they're one game away. They can almost taste it. Will they defeat Colorado, who's been shaky? They're a good team, but they're an inconsistent team, especially when it comes to their shooting. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the yeah. final. Correct. McKinley Wright, the fourth, the star guard for Colorado. Interesting to see his play will certainly determine if the Buffaloes can outlast the Beavers in the Pac-12 championship. Going on to SEC talk, Alabama beats Tennessee in a thriller to advance to the SEC championship game. And the Crimson Tide will take on LSU. LSU outlasted Arkansas today. Uh, I, I am very high on the Hogs, though. They got some real good guards. JT Noti, uh, Sills, they got a bunch of guys who can just straight up ball, shoot it, drive it. The Hogs can do everything. Eric Musselman, the coach there, I like the Hogs, even though they did not win today. I think Alabama will get a good win over LSU in the championship game, though. There's so much to unfold here with the SEC. First of all, I agree. I like Arkansas. Good team. You name their star players. I could see them going a decent amount of uh, a decent way in March Madness. Secondly, just got to take a quick second to say, you hate to see it. I'm going to miss Bruce Pearl not being in March Madness. I love how much he, that guy got into the game. He'd sweat through a suit jacket. It was always funny to see. But thirdly, speaking of the Alabama Crimson Tide, that hire Nate Oates just looks better and better and better as the days go by. He was a great coach with Buffalo. He's an even better coach with Alabama. And that team will make noise come March. They could make a run to the Elite Eight depending on what region they go in. Yeah, Alabama certainly has capabilities to make a deep run. Herb Jones, the SEC Player of the Year and the SEC Defensive Player of the Year, just the third player in SEC history to do that alongside Anthony Davis and Tyler Eulis, who both went to Kentucky. Herb Jones one of the best players in the country, along with Jaden Shackelford and John Petty. Bama shoots the three ball lights out. They can shoot it with anybody. They are third in the country and threes made per game. Bama offensively, defensively, one of the best teams in the country. Watch out for them. They have final four capability. No doubt about it. Yeah, for sure. Great team. Going to the Big Ten, your conference at Penn State. We're talking about Ohio best State. Best conference though. in college basketball, no question. I agree with that 100%. We're talking about the Buckeyes who upset Michigan today in the semis to advance to the Big Ten championship game. Michigan, a big injury. Forward Isaiah Livers out to be determined how long. He has a stress injury in his foot. Uh, Suffered that last night against uh, yesterday against Maryland in the quarterfinals. This is a big loss for Michigan. You saw it today. Uh, Had a one-point loss against the Buckeyes and almost had a chance to win with the Mike Smith late three that he missed. Um, but Livers loss due to injury, big impact. And I can, this can certainly affect how far Michigan goes in the tournament. They still have a lot of talent, but Livers out big mess for the, for the Wolverines. Oh, it certainly will mess up Michigan's rhythm. He's one of their better players, but good for Ohio state, I guess. I mean, I I'm tired of seeing that team, honestly, between their football powerhouse. Now it looks like they're becoming a basketball one playing in the big 10 final. Now I'm just sick of them, but they're, they're a good program. I'll say that. And, in my opinion, you could disagree, but I think the Big Ten's going to have nine teams in the dance, which should be the most at any conference, and they could all do damage between Illinois with the Sunu and Coburn. You got Luca Garza, who's arguably the best big man in basketball right now from Iowa. 
that conference is going to make noise. Just watch out. I do agree. I do think nine teams will make it out of the Big Ten. And like you said, all of them have capability to do damage. I really do think so. Maryland had Michigan on the ropes in the first half. They collapsed in the second half, but they did give Michigan a good game. Um, you got Illinois, as you said. I am very high on Illinois. Dasunmu, Coburn, Frazier, uh, Carbello. all those guys. Yeah, yep, Cabello. And uh, just they defend well. Illinois team, I'm very high on. Iowa, very good offensively with Garza, Wieskamp, and Bohannon. Uh, a lot of talent in the Big Ten, and they all have the capability to go far. In Ohio State, Dwayne Washington, one of the best guards in the country. You got E.J. Liddell, the big man. C.J. Walker was a Florida State transfer. He's been with Ohio State for a couple of years now. Just everyone buying into that system uh, down in Columbus. Buckeyes got a good thing rolling. Big Ten have a lot of good teams going into the tournament. Speaking like of the Buckeyes, one quick thing. Don't let that team get a lead because between Dwayne Washington and C.J. Walker, those two are – one of the those two combined are two of the most elite free throw shooters in college basketball. Dwayne Washington has an 89% free throw percentage on the year, and I think CJ Walker has a 96% free throw percentage, which is absolutely absurd. So don't let that get don't let that team get a lead on you because if they do, they don't miss free throws and they don't miss them often. So good luck coming back if you're down late. Great point there. Guards shooting excellent from the free throw line. That is huge to making a deep run. Late games, got to be able to make your free throws. Going on an ACC talk now, and we're talking about Florida State earlier. We're talking about Foley now. They outlasted UNC last night in the semis of the ACC tournament, 69-66, to go on to play Georgia Tech in the final. That'll tip off at 8.30 Eastern time tonight. And both these teams are guaranteed to make the tournament, just a matter of which one claims the bid for the ACC. I'm obviously rooting for Florida State, of course. But I got Florida State. They got the star power in Scotty Barnes and Jay Walker. They got the big power in Koprovica. And the other, uh, I always forget his name. Raekwon He's Gray. like, thank you. Uh, they, they, they got the big, they got the height on Georgia Tech, and I think they have the star power. I think they'll beat them, and I think they'll beat them handedly and win the ACC title again. All right. I, I would love to see that. But the guards at Georgia Tech, Jose Alvarado and McKinley, uh, not McKinley Wright, Moses Wright, excuse me, the seniors there, very experienced, very good, scrappy. Moses Wright just won. ACC player of the year for Georgia Tech. So look out for that tonight. Guard play going to be a big factor in this game. But the bigs for Florida State will make noise. Balsha Kopervica coming off a career night against UNC. 16 points, 12 rebounds, I believe. He had double-digit rebounds, a double-double, the best game of his career in a Knowles uniform. If he can replicate that tonight, I got the Knowles taking down the Yellow Jackets in the ACC championship game. And on to our final topic, we're talking about bubble teams. Bubble teams, always an interesting topic come Selection Sunday time. We're going to be breaking down about six, seven teams that are on the bubble line and where they fall in or out. We're going to start with Syracuse, the orange. Out, out. Always find a way to make it interesting, but I agree they're out. Their quad one record of just one and six. I just don't think it's enough. They made a push. I feel, against I feel for Bayheim. I feel for Bayheim. He's a great coach and his kid's pretty good as well. But that quad one record ain't going to get it done. They are out. I would have to agree. Syracuse, not going to make it. Buddy Beheim, a star. They pushed Virginia to the brink. It took a buzzer beater three for the Cavaliers to move on, but just not enough, in my opinion, for the Orange to get into this tournament this year. On to Utah State out of the Mountain West. I think they're in with the win over Colorado State last night. They're They're in the Mountain West championship game. They're in. Lock it in. And an added bonus would be beating San Diego State. They're in. And getting the AQ out of the Mountain West. I like Utah State. They always find a way to be competitive, and I think they can make noise that roster. I agree. 
on to your boys, John. Wichita State, we talked about them earlier. I think they're in right now. But the roster they have, two and three record, compared to a team like Syracuse at one and six, getting wins over Houston. And I I just, I like the Shockers. I think they're going to get in. The only way I see them out is if we see some unpredicted AQ bids, such as teams like Georgetown or someone from the A-10 who wasn't projected to win, because I know we're going to talk about the A-10 in a minute with St. Louis. But if you see some unpredicted automatic bids, that could push Wichita State out. I don't see that happening. I think they're in. Cincinnati, they need Houston to win. Wichita State needs Houston to win, because if Cincinnati steals that bid, it's going to be Cincinnati and Houston and Wichita State probably out at that point. You're probably right. So the winner, or, or Memphis, that game is not over, still going on right now. The winner of the Memphis-Houston game, Wichita State wants it to win for sure. Going back to the Mountain West, Colorado State, the Rams, quite an impressive year this year, uh, right up there with the top teams in the Mountain West with Boise State, uh, Boise State, San Diego State, Utah State. The Rams right there, but they couldn't get a big win last night against Utah State. That might hold them out. I don't know. Again, they're just in a similar boat of Wichita State, waiting and seeing what happens. They are rooting for San Diego State because maybe they could take that spot based on resume. Not sure. Colorado State sitting tight. Very nervous about them. Out. I'm calling them out. I don't I don't see three teams from the Mountain West getting in. It's just not that big of a powerhouse conference. Um Two is fine. I, I think San Diego State, Utah State make it. Um, the, if the flip, if the script was flipped and Colorado State beat Utah State last night, I'd be just saying the Rams are in and Utah State be out. But I don't see three teams from the Mountain West, so yeah, that's my would have to would have to agree. We're going to the Missouri Valley. Loyola, Chicago punched their ticket already. We're talking about the Drake Bulldogs. I got them in right now. They might not have the resume of these other bubble teams, but they had twenty three wins. They did beat Loyola once. And they didn't play the best in the uh, NBC championship game, but they were without their best player. So I can't not think of his name off the top of my head right now, but they did not have their best player. I remember watching that game. The announcers did say that. So Drake gets him back. I think the Bulldogs will get in as an, as a playing game. Drake's in. I think they're in. All right. Final bubble team. We got the St. Louis Billikens out of the A-10 out right now out uh, the A-10 what happened? It didn't break down the way they wanted. Davidson did not beat VCU. You got St. Bonaventure and VCU in the A10 final. You'll see that. Uh, I just don't. I just don't. The see Bonnies, baby. Them. Watch out for the Bonnies. Regardless of the outcome, I think VCU and St. Bonaventure are locks to get in this tournament, and that's it. So it's going to be two teams out of the A10. The A10 is not a good enough conference to land three plus teams. I think it's going to be VCU, St. Bonaventure, regardless of the outcome tomorrow and or today or tomorrow, whatever. That game, I forget when that game takes place. But those two teams, I think it's, will get I think it's the- tomorrow, if I remember correctly. But uh, anyways, I I couldn't agree more. A ten, I view it much like the uh, the Mountain West. It's a good conference. It's not a great conference. There should not be more than two teams in. And the Bonnies and VCU, like you said, will be in. It'll be interesting to see how those two teams fare because they always seem to make some noise in the uh, in the Big Dance. Surprising to see Dayton not in. They took a step back this year. Usually they're out of the big. They're out of the uh, A twelve. Uh, excuse me, A ten. Um, but. Yeah, I got the Bonnies in VCU. Sorry, St. Louis. You'll be watching the big dance from the couch. You're out. And all right, that's going to do it for this episode of After the Buzzer. I thank my special guest, John, for coming on to this episode. And uh, we'll catch you guys in the next episode of After the Buzzer. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Night, everybody.